You turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, we'll be starting in verse 29. If you have the Pew Bible, that is on page 870. Last week, James walked us through Luke 11, 14 to 28, the passage right before this, and he had the, uh, the perfect uh, picture, perfect illustration to begin the sermon with the, uh, the drama over the two dresses, right? Is it the white and gold dress or the black and blue dress? And asked the question, how can two people see the same exact thing and see it differently? That actually was in uh, February of 2015. And then in May of 2018, another thing took the internet by storm, which actually I was thinking about this as James was talking about the dresses. And that was the Laurel and Yanny debate over the audio, uh, what was being said, Laurel or Yanny. And it's actually Laurel, uh, which is what I hear, which is, is the correct one. But I actually played it this morning for a room full of people and I think everyone else heard Yanny. Um, but it's interesting, there's a, if you go, the, the New York Times on their website has a little thing. I don't know if any of you guys have done this. There's like a slider, so you can go all the way. So it's basically like high and low frequencies is depending on, depends on what you hear. But you can go like all the way over to the Laurel side and like everyone hears Laurel. You can go all the way over to the Yanny side and everyone hears Yanny. But then there's this like range in between. And I actually got to a place where I could hear both of them at the same time. And I thought I was losing my mind, but um, it's pretty crazy. But so whether it's with the dress, seeing it two different ways, or with Laurel and Yanny hearing two different things, how is it that this can happen, right? How is it that there can be two different interpretations, two different responses to the same message? How can people see the same thing, Jesus casting out demons from a mute man that we saw last week, or hear the same message, what we're going to look at this week, and respond differently? How can that be? Last week, James talked about the coming of the kingdom, how the coming of God's kingdom is seen in the victory of the king, in Jesus' victory over sin and, and Satan and death, and then the response of the subjects. And looking at this uh, victory of the king, I think we really see that in the Gospel of Luke, right? We see Jesus' victory. We see him conquering sin and death in the grave. And then in Acts, especially, we see the response of the subjects. We see the disciples going out to preach the gospel. So there's this, this picture of the victory of the king and the response of the subjects that is really kind of the framework of all of Luke's writing in Luke and Acts. So I'm kind of going to piggyback off of a lot of what James said yesterday, this idea of the, the coming of the kingdom seen in the victory of the king and the response of the subjects. Mostly, we're going to look at the response of the subjects today, because this passage really continues off of what we looked at last week. And when James talked about the response of the subjects, there were three parts to that, and this will be really helpful for us again. The first one is that neutrality is impossible, and we're going to see that again this week. You're either for Jesus or you're against him. There is no neutrality. The second part was that external righteousness is not enough. And that's really going to be the main focus this week. External righteousness is not enough. We're going to see this contrast between the external and the internal. And the third thing, which we saw in verse 
28, is that we must hear and keep his word. And that idea there, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it, that is really kind of, that kind of flows into our first section here for this morning. But before we read our text, before we get into it, how should we hear and respond? As we come this morning, how should we hear and respond? Again, there are only two options. We either hear as believers in Jesus who are on the inside, right? Who are on Jesus' side because we've been made new. We've been made clean on the inside. Or we hear as those who are on the outside, those who are not yet believers in Jesus and have yet to be made clean on the inside. Those are the only two options. Those are the only two ways that we can come and hear the word of Jesus, even here this morning. So we must be able to place ourselves in one of these two categories as we engage with this text this morning. There is no neutrality. But regardless of where we stand in relation to Jesus this morning, the truths that we are going to see in these three sections here in Luke 11, they confront all of us and they point all of us to our need to be changed from the inside out. So what should our response be to Jesus, the victorious king? Let's read our passage and find out. Luke chapter 11, verses 29 to the end of the chapter. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees! For you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, 
For you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you, lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed, so you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. As he went away from there, the scribes and Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for the opportunity we have to gather together today as your people. God, to hear your word to hear the word of God and to keep it. Father, we ask that you would give us the grace to do so. Father, grant to us by your spirit the power, the ability to hear, to internalize these truths, and to keep them by living them out in our lives in this world. That our lights might shine for others to see so that you might be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're just going to work through these three sections here. Uh, the sign of Jonah, the light in you, and the woe to the Pharisees and lawyers. And I want you to pay attention to these differences, these contrasts between what is inside and what is outside, what is internal and what is external. In this first section, we see this inside-out focus in two historical examples from Old Testament Israel. First here in verse 29, Jesus calls them out for being externally focused. He says, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. And if you remember back last week, after Jesus had cast out the demon, uh, the people were seeking a sign from him. They tested him and they, they sought a sign. That was in verse 16. Here he addresses those people. He calls them an evil generation because they are seeking something external. They're seeking external proof to try to validate their own opinions. So Jesus says, do you want a sign? Okay, I'll give you a sign. You'll get the sign of Jonah. Now, we might read that and be like, okay, well, what does that mean, right? Well, in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew chapter 12, after he talks about the sign of Jonah, he says that Jonah was in the, in the fish three days and three nights, and so will the Son of Man be 
in the earth three days and three nights. He's talking there about the resurrection. So in one sense, Jesus is pointing forward here to his own resurrection from the dead. That's going to be the sign. When he raises from the dead, that's going to be the sign of judgment against these people who have not believed in him. On the other hand, he Luke doesn't directly mention that, so there has to be another element of that, what the sign of Jonah is, and it, I believe it's also the preaching, mes- the, the preaching message of judgment that Jonah came and gave to the people of Nineveh and how they responded, and we'll come back to that in verse 32. But it's interesting then where Jesus goes next. Again, he points to these two historical events. The first one in verse 31, he says, The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. The queen of the south here is the queen of Sheba, who we see in 1 Kings chapter 10. Probably she came from the ends of the earth, probably from Ethiopia, so she traveled a very long way. She came to, to test Solomon, to hear his wisdom. So that was her purpose in coming, was to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Now notice the connection here, going back to verse 28, right? Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Jesus had just said what it means to be blessed. It's to hear the word of God and to keep it. Now he's giving two pictures of what that looks like right here in this passage. The first is the queen of the south, the queen of Sheba, who came to hear the wisdom of Solomon, came to hear the word of God, right? She came to hear what God had to say. Next, verse 32, the men of Nineveh, they will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. This is a picture, uh, again, of judgment, but what was their response? They heard the word, right, and they kept it. They repented. They turned from their sins. Blessed are those who hear the word and keep it. It's not enough just to hear it, right? Because that's the problem here. We're all, everyone's hearing Jesus say something. Some people are keeping it. Other people are not. That's why Jesus uses these two historical examples. And notice, again, the internal and the external emphases here. What happens when people hear? The truth goes in, right? It goes in their ears, from their ears, into their heart, and they internalize it. What happens when they repent? Outward change, right? Goes out, and that reflects the change that is on the inside. Or something else going on here that is pretty awesome. What else do you notice about the queen of the south and the men of Nineveh? What kind of people are they? They're Gentiles, right? These are people who came from the outside. These are not the people of Israel. These are outsiders who became insiders. They got it, right? They heard it and they responded while the Jews of Jesus' day, the ones, very ones that he is speaking to, still don't get it. We saw this in chapter 10 with the Good Samaritan, right? Here's this outsider who the Jews looked down upon who responded positively. So there's this very stark contrast going on here. And again, we've, we've said this before. This is a big theme in Luke's gospel, right? This idea of the gospel going to the Gentiles. And then you may have noticed that I didn't finish reading both of those verses. Jesus makes an astounding claim at the end of verse 31 and verse 32. Verse 31, something greater than Solomon is here. 
In verse 32, something greater than Jonah is here. He's talking about himself, right? The wisest king in all of Israel, the wisest person that ever lived before Jesus, right? Jesus saying, I'm greater than him. I'm wiser than him. Just as the people, just as the queen of Sheba traveled to hear his words, you need to hear my words, right? As great as Jonah was, and he really wasn't that great in a lot of ways, right? But Jonah delivered this message to the people of Nineveh. But something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus saying, I am the king. I am the prophet. Listen to me. Hear my word and keep my word. And this applies to all of us. If you're a Christian and a follower of Jesus, keep on hearing and keep on keeping Jesus' word. Keep trusting. Keep repenting. And if you're not yet a Christian, let what you're hearing get down inside of you, right? Let Jesus' words get into your ears and down into your heart and believe and repent and turn from your sin and turn to him and keep his ways. That's the focus of the next section as well, is Jesus essentially says that what goes in must also come out. He uses the imagery of a lamp to light a home. He talks about what you should do and what you shouldn't do. No one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, right? You don't hide that light. What do you do? You put it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Again, this light is not just for yourself, right? It's for others. It's for those who are coming in. So this is not only speaking about our relationship with God, but it's also speaking about our relationship with others. He goes on to say, your eye is the lamp of the body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. So this contrast here between a healthy eye and a bad eye. The, the word in the Greek actually for bad here is the word evil. It's the same word that was just used for evil generation before that. So he's, he's combining these two sections and saying, here's this evil generation who have evil eyes, right? Their eyes are bad. Their eyes are not healthy. Again, there is no neutrality here. You are either full of light or you are full of darkness. And Paul lays this out in many of his writings. He talks about it in Romans and Ephesians and Colossians. You're either dead in sin or you're alive in Christ, right? There's no in-between. There's no like, well, I'm half alive, right? right? Like the picture in Ephesians 2 of being dead in sin. Some people say like, oh, you're just kind of like floating along in the ocean, right? And Jesus throws you a life preserver and you grab it. No, no. You're dead in the bottom of the ocean with concrete boots on. You're, you're not saving yourself, right? You're either dead in sin or you're alive in Christ. That's this picture that is given here of this internal light. William Henderson in his commentary says, When a person's inner disposition is right, having been sanctified by the Holy Spirit, his entire personality will be illuminated. He will possess the true knowledge of God, will experience peace of mind that surpasses all understanding, and will be, will be able to thank the Lord for joy unspeakable and full of glory. On the contrary, when his heart is not right with God, this lamentable condition will also affect his entire personality. 
Instead of spiritual progress, there will be spiritual retardation and deterioration. There is no neutrality. There is no stagnation. You're either growing in Christ by the grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, or you're deteriorating spiritually because your heart is not right with God. I don't know about you, but I love setting my vehicle on cruise control when I'm on the highway, right? I like being able to stretch my legs out, you know, just kind of relax, do whatever, not worry about having to mess with the pedals. But there is no cruise control in the Christian life, right? We don't hit a button and just sit back and say, all right, I'm just going to all the way from here to Fond du Lac or here to Milwaukee, whatever, right? I'm just going to get on the highway and I'm going to cruise. We see Jesus confront this kind of cruise control thinking here in this last section. He gets invited to a meal at a Pharisee's home. Now, this may have been a genuine invitation. Uh, The Pharisee and his friends may have genuinely been interested in what Jesus had to say. But it may, may very well have been a trap from the beginning, as we'll see in their response after the meal. So Jesus goes in walks into this house, and he goes straight to the table and sits down at the table and doesn't wash his hands. And the host is astonished. He can't believe it, right? Jesus should know better. I love this because there's no exchange of words here. Maybe Jesus overheard a comment that the host made to another guest, or maybe he saw the look on his face, or maybe simply just... Jesus knew what was in his heart, right? He knew that this man was furious in his heart. So Jesus proceeds to confront this Pharisee, and he makes seven statements denouncing the Pharisees and the lawyers. And the lawyers here are not like lawyers that we think about. These are the the teachers of the law. These are the ones who studied the law of God. So there are seven statements. Six of them come in the form of woes, and we'll get to those in a little bit. But he starts off here, his first denunciation is in verse, verses 39 to 41. Jesus said, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. I think these verses here are really the crux of this passage, and it gets at the heart of the conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders here. What do we see? What is Jesus' main beef with them? They have a clean outside while the inside is filthy. If you have a dishwasher at home, I don't know if you've ever, uh, I know this happens to us a lot, right? You, You go get a dish out of the dishwasher you grab a bowl maybe that was flipped upside down and there maybe there's something else underneath it and you oh it's clean and you flip it over right and it's all just nasty and crusty on the inside you're like I'm not eating out of that I'm gonna go hand wash that one before I use it well that's what's going on here right it looks looks everything looks good on the outside but then you get to the inside and it's just nasty it's gross it's it's full of disgusting things and Jesus comes after them here. You fools. This is not how God designed you. He's not just looking for outward purification. 
He doesn't want a life that looks clean on the outside, but inside is greedy and wicked. That's called hypocrisy. And that's what Jesus is going after in these next two paragraphs. As he pronounces, he's going to pronounce three woes on the Pharisees and three woes on the lawyers. Now, I'm not going to take the time to go through each one of these individually and unpack all of the, the different things going on and all of the implications, but they're all related to this issue of what's on the outside not matching what's on the inside, which is exactly something that the Lord has been addressing with the people of Israel from very early on, and we'll, we'll get to that in a second, but what he is addressing here, uh, he's addressing hypocrisy, he's addressing legalism, he's addressing pride, he's addressing false teaching, he's addressing false guidance, and some of the things here um, are very interesting. Again, like tithing, uh, they're focusing on these external things, but they're not doing the internal things like justice and the love of God. Um, they're, 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 he says they're acting like unmarked graves. So they're actually letting people walk over these unmarked graves and, and become defiled. So the way that they're focusing on the externals, they're, they're allowing other people to be defiled. He talks that there's this, again, this kind of generational idea and the woe to the, to the lawyers um, in verses, like around verse 50, where he's talking about the blood of the prophets. This is really interesting. You see this here from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah. So Abel, we know, is right away in Genesis, right? Cain kills Abel. He's the first person who's murdered. Um, and then Zechariah happens in the book of second, towards the end of second Chronicles, when the Hebrew Bible, second Chronicles is the last book in the Hebrew Bible. So Zechariah is this priest who gets murdered in the sanctuary. There's this coup against him and he gets murdered. So basically Jesus is saying from Genesis to second Chronicles, what we would say Genesis to Revelation, right? The whole Hebrew Bible is bookended with these two messengers of God who are murdered by the Jews, right? He's saying, you guys are guilty for the blood from Abel to Zechariah. You guys are guilty of the blood from, from all the servants of God who have been killed from the beginning to the end. This is, this is upon you. This, this is a very profound statement of judgment that Jesus is bringing here to the religious leaders. So again, Jesus has been addressing these things with them from the very beginning. God has been Throughout the whole Old Testament, God was addressing these, this internal versus external change to the people of Israel. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, Moses is retelling the account of how he went back up on the mountain to get the two tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments after the golden calf incident. Remember, he came down originally from getting the Ten Commandments. Israel was worshiping the golden calf. He smashes the tablets. So he has to go back up and get new tablets from God. Deuteronomy 10, he's explaining that, how he came back down, and then listen to what he commands the people right after this reminder of God. Still buzzing a little, but that's better. <laughs> right after this reminder of God giving them the commandments again. He says, and now, this is Deuteronomy 10, verse 12, and now Israel... What does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. 
Sounds a lot like verse 28, right? Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Moses goes on. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with it, with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. The Pharisees and the lawyers of Jesus' day were guilty of not loving and serving God and not loving and serving the fatherless and the widows and the sojourners among them because they were not operating with circumcised hearts. They were focused on external circumcision, right? They were focused on who's in and who's out based on the external sign. And way back in Deuteronomy, they were already commanded, circumcise your hearts, right? The external sign is is good. It's not a bad thing, but that's not what God is looking for. He's looking for heart change. I mean, we could say the same thing about baptism today, right? You go get baptized and say, oh, praise God, he's, he's changed my life, but there's no change on the inside. That external sign, right? God wants you washed clean on the inside. That's the internal change that he's after. And you know what the good news is? He's the only one who can do that. That's the beauty of this whole thing. Why do we love Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27? It's a glorious passage because the new heart and the new spirit that God promises to put within us are a result of him doing it and not us earning it. We can't change our own hearts. It must come from the Lord. He removes our heart of stone and he gives us a heart of flesh. He puts his spirit within us and causes us to walk in his statutes. He gets the credit for anything good that we do for him. The Pharisees and the lawyers had it completely backwards. They set up their own standards. And they, like this Pharisee, who's astonished that Jesus didn't wash his hands, right? They're trying to hold everyone else to their standards. They wanted people to jump through their hoops. And in so doing... They actually are keeping people away from God. Look at verse 52. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. They had it, right? They had the scriptures. They had God's promises. They knew Deuteronomy chapter 10. They knew Ezekiel 36. And they were focused on all the other stuff. They were focused on all the external stuff because it's so much easier, isn't it? It's so much easier to fake it on the outside and to not do that hard internal heart work. 
If you're a Christian, I know you know what I'm talking about, right? We've all been there. You take away the key of knowledge. You didn't enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. I mean, this indictment here is just, this is a punch right in their face, right? Jesus is saying, you guys are completely failing at what you've been called to do. You're not even going in, right? And you're keeping others from going in by your hypocrisy, by your focus on all these external things. And this, I, lo- I didn't really talk much about verse 45. I love this. After the Pharisees get their share, right? The lawyer stands up. Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. Wham, right? Woe to you, lawyers. Like, Jesus is, this is really necessary, okay? And Jesus alone can do this in this way, right? It's not licensed for me to get up here and be like, you stinking Christians, you're terrible, right? That's not, I can't do that because I got the same issues that you all got, right? Jesus, the perfect one alone, could come and say, not just Pharisees need to hear this. Lawyers, you need to hear this too, right? You're all guilty, And this is grace to do this, right? This is gracious by Jesus to come after them, to confront them in their sin, to say, you guys need to hear this, right? So when all these woes are not like just, Jesus needs to confront them. He needs to break down that facade that they have set up that just says, oh, everything's good on the outside because he sees right through it. And if you If you think he doesn't see through it in your own life, right? Just read this, right? He sees through it all. Let him tear it down. Let him continue to make you clean and continue to to build you up on the inside and and not just focus on the outside. And maybe sometimes we respond like they responded, right? Verse 53 and 54, we see that they were not having it. As he went away, they follow him, right? They begin to press, and the the language here is really strong. All of these words, they begin to press him hard. They begin to provoke him. They begin to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. This word for catch means it's the word that's used for hunting. I mean, they're coming after him. This is not like... This is not like just some like behind the scenes kind of stuff that they were doing, but like this is full on attack. Like they're coming after Jesus here. They are not happy. They wanted their own system of self-reliance and external performance so that they could feel good about their standing with God. And Jesus just comes in and tears it all down. He says, you're totally missing the point. What about us? What are we relying on? Individually, are we trying to please God with a bunch of external things while, while the inside of our spiritual lives are deteriorating? Or corporately, not just us, Livingstone, how about the church in America right now? Where are we looking for hope? Are we looking to external things? Are we looking to political leaders? Are we looking to you know, how things are going to shake out with COVID and all these things in the next few months. And is that where our focus is? Are we trying to win all these fights out there? Come on. 
There's one king, and there's one kingdom. There's one slain lamb standing victorious. There is one who is worthy. I can't think of a better picture, a better question as we come this morning, as we prepare to come to the Lord's table. Where are we looking, right? What are we looking at? What are we hearing, right? What are the things we're feeding our minds with? I'm not saying it's wrong to read the news and to, to be up on things that are happening. I'm doing that. But at the end of the day, are we hearing from Jesus? And are we looking to him alone for hope in these days? And guys, if you get tired of me saying this, I'm sorry, but I'm going to keep banging this drum until, you know, the Lord comes. Like, or until I'm gone. This, this is where our eyes need to be fixed. And we come here every time coming from the world, right? Coming in here and saying, Lord, do this work in me. Renew me. Cleanse me. Help me to really turn from my sin and turn to you. Give me the grace to repent. Give me the grace to walk in the power of the Spirit. This is not just some ritualistic thing that we do every other week. This is our life. This is the strength that we need to live the Christian life and to fight the battles that we need to fight in this world. This table is open to anyone who has trusted in Christ. Anyone who is a Christian, we ask that you would be someone who's, who's a believer in Christ, someone who's in good standing in a gospel-preaching church. This table is open. Uh, you're, you're welcome to come down, uh, take the elements. We have uh, white grape juice and red wine. Uh, again, the cups are stacked, so the bread is underneath the juice or the wine, so just take one, take one stack of, of the two cups. Uh, take the elements, return to our seats, and then we will all partake together. And um, actually, before we come down, I want to pray for the kids. I know I've, I forgot to uh, do that the last few times. So uh, let me pray for the kids, and then after I pray uh, for the kids, you can feel free to come down. Father, we thank you so much uh, for the little ones in our midst. We thank you for uh, the homes that they are being brought up in. We thank you for um, the fathers and mothers who are seeking to love them, who are seeking to bring them up uh, in the nourishment and admonition uh, of the gospel. And uh, Lord, we ask that, that these children uh, would be fed in their homes uh, by, by your word, that they would be fed by families uh, seeking you together. Father, we ask that each of these little ones would never know a day apart from you. And may all of us uh, here in this church uh, seek to, to help uh, parents love and, and shepherd and lead these little ones to you. Thank you for, for their presence uh, with us. Thank you for the blessing that they are. Pray that your blessing would be upon them. In Jesus' name, amen.